those on Facebook Live and those of you that are here, we're going to continue on our series of teachings that we began last Sunday afternoon. I'm always wanting to say evening, but we started 4.30, and so late afternoon, I should say. But we are going to continue on the mind-brain connections. Now, I did discover this week that it is going to be a series of teachings. Wasn't sure if it was going to be a mini or a mini-series, but it's going to be a mini-series. I have a lot of things that are beginning to filter through my understanding. I'm seeing some things a little bit differently. You know, we made a very paradigm shift several years ago when we taught the series on no penal substitution. It rocked our world. Yeah, it, did. it rocked our world. It changed everything about our belief system concerning why Jesus went to the cross. And then we did a series of teachings about, oh, I don't know, maybe nine months ago, longer, entitled Our Eternal Identity, and then we went into Original Sin versus Original Blessing, and that rocked our world as well, where we found out that we were never really in Adam. We only thought we were. And when Jesus went to the cross, the thing that needed to be saved was our awareness. Colossians 1.21 is the verse we use many, many times over and over, where it says we were alienated and we were enemies. Where? In our mind by wicked works. And the wicked works there just talks about, you know, works in the energy of the flesh, toil, sweat, and so forth. And so now this series of teachings is going to rock our world in a little different direction. It's going to bring another paradigm shift into our understanding. And so we're going to begin, as I said, this is installment number two on the mind-brain connection. Now what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to add, I just gave you a few scriptures last Sunday that talked about the fact that the scriptures must be interpreted symbolically, allegorically, and parabolically. And I only give you a couple of scriptures. I think I give you the one in uh, Galatians chapter 4 that talks about the two sons of Abraham and how Paul the Apostle said they were an allegory. And I gave you, I think, another scripture. I don't remember which one exactly. But I want to give you a few more. And you can write these down because I'm not going to give you the time to turn to them. But uh, let me just kind of quote them. There's about seven or eight scriptures that I want to quote because, you know, we talk in symbolic language all the time. But when it comes to the Bible, we just want to interpret it all literally. And it's not to be interpreted literally. Now, certainly there are natural pictures, and this is what people don't understand. There are certainly natural pictures, like Isaac and Ishmael, natural pictures that point to allegorical truths. And I shared with you last week how that every character in the Bible represents something that is happening on the inside of us. Every character in the Bible. And people say, well, were they literal or not? I don't care. You know, perhaps and perhaps not. You know, I know which direction I lean to a little bit, but that isn't important. The important thing is that we do not stop with the historicity of the Bible and seeing those characters just as literal people, the important thing is that we move into the symbology, the parabolic, the allegoric understanding of what those things represent. So let me just give you a few scriptures. One of them is uh, Psalm 78.2, and it says there, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now, 
what is a parable? A parable is not something that center up, centers up on exactly what it's talking about, but you must get beneath the surface. Same with dark sayings. You must get beneath the, uh, the surface of what it's saying and uh, resonate with the code of what it's saying, if I can say it that way. So dark sayings and parables, Psalm 78 to Proverbs 1, 6 says, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. And if you could turn me down on this mic just a little bit, it would probably help. I'm getting a little feedback here. Matthew 13, 34 and 35 says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables. Now listen, and without a parable spake he not unto them. So he always spoke in parables, hidden sayings, dark sayings, if you will, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it talks there about the letter of the word, and it talks about the spirit of the word. And it says the letter kills, interpreting literally is death, but interpreting it according to the parabolic language, the allegoric language, the symbolic language brings life. Romans chapter 2, 29 says, He is a Jew which is one inwardly. You know, many today in ministry focus on, you know, over in the Middle East, the Jewish people. But listen, you're a Jew tonight. Mm -hmm. He is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, not in the letter. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians 3, 15, But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, meaning what? When they read it literally, the veil is upon their heart. If you take it literally, there's a veil over your heart. And in Acts 7, 48, howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples, not in temples made with hands, but he dwelleth in temples not made with hands. And we found out last week that our body, according to 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're the temple. According to 1 Corinthians 6.19, our body is the temple of God. And then in Luke 12.21, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. It's not in some literal place. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, I shared last week, if I had a picture of the tabernacle... And if we laid our body on that tabernacle, what would be in the most holy place? Mm -hmm. Our head would be in the most holy place, including our brain. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying that the Bible is about the mind. The Bible is about the brain. Now, when we talk about the brain, we want to make sure we're talking about the fact that the right hemisphere represents. I'm not saying it is the mind of Christ, but it represents the mind of Christ. And as spirit flows through the left hemisphere, you see intuition divine imagination, creativity, and so forth. But you see, when we think strictly out of the left hemisphere of the brain, what are we doing? We're judging by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear. Over here, we're judging righteous judgment as the spirit utilizes, you see, that right hemisphere. And uh, we'll look at another scripture that's very plain in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes a little later. Now, as I said, we use symbology or symbolic language all the time. We'll say something like, break a leg. They say that in the movie industry. It doesn't mean go out and break your leg. Or she spilled the beans. That doesn't mean she spilled a pot of beans and now we got to you know, go clean the beans up. Or maybe someone might say, there are two sheets to the wind. <laughs> what does that mean? That means they're a little inebriated. 
they've had a little bit too much to drink, or, or, or listen to this one. And there's many that we identify with. Someone might say, we're going to shoot the bull. Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean you go get a gun and shoot a bull. You know? What is it? It's symbolic language. And listen, the reason why we have over 41,000 different denominations is because we have interpreted the scriptures on the surface level. Literally. We read our Bible like we read our daily newspaper. So what I want to do tonight, and most of you probably uh, were either here or saw the YouTube presentation, or I mean the live Facebook presentation that we put on. I don't know if the YouTube presentation is up yet. We did that Wednesday evening. But if you saw that, that was a good foundation for what we're going to talk about. If you didn't see that, go back and look at it, because it was an excellent foundation for what we're going to be teaching about in this series. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to be doing David and Goliath. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Jacob and Esau. And what I want us to see, in fact, if you'll go in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 25, what I want to see is Jacob represents spirit. Someone says, well, how could he represent spirit since he struggled and he, you know, judged things by the appearance realm and, and, you know, he tried to control and manipulate. Well, you'll see as we get into this message. He represents Inward struggles. He even represents some jealousy that he had. And he tried to overpower and he tried to manipulate some situations where his brother Esau was concerned. Now, let me just say it this way. The word Esau, and most of you know that it means flesh. But the name Esau also means red. <clears throat> red. Like the red earth, you see. It means red. Esau means red, and it simply stands for and points to the appearance realm, the material. Now, what we see as we look at this is the fact that Esau denotes red or denotes the appearance realm. We can see in the book of Isaiah where it says that the, the, sea, is, the sea is like struggling. Isaiah said that the wicked are like the troubled sea, meaning what? They're always going through a struggle. Now, all of us, even though we are spirit, do you not still go through struggles from time to time? Do you not find yourself from time to time being tempted and suggestions are made to you in the appearance realm to think that's the end all and begin to judge, you know, by the way it looks and the way it feels and so forth? So Jacob did that. But you know what? Even though Jacob's name and his understanding was changed to Israel, his name was always Israel. Jacob was just the name that his parents gave him when he was born and they named him. So you see, Esau represents that flesh realm, the appearance realm, judging by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear. His name means red. Now let me give you a scripture. Hang on to Genesis 25 and let me have you just, let's, let's look at this one together. In Ezekiel chapter, or not Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 2. Look what it says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 2. We talked last week about the fact that the right hemisphere represents the mind of Christ. The left hemisphere represents carnal thoughts. We talked about the fact that if you would lay your body on the most holy place, your head would be in the highest realm and be in the most holy place. And I brought out how that the most holy place has to do with the pineal gland. 
When we go to bed at night, we take darkness into our eyes. It opens up the pineal gland, and light then is released into our physical body. Uh, it produces and secretes melatonin, and now it's been proven that melatonin kills cancer. It reverses the aging process. It lightens the skin. It uh, balances out the circadian rhythm, and it does a host of other things that we don't even know about yet today. Now, in the morning when we wake up, the light comes through our eyes, and believe it or not, the small intestine begins to secrete serotonin. And then it flows to the brain as a chemical. Serotonin is a chemical. It flows to the brain, and it awakens you in the morning. So as Jesus said in Matthew 6, if your eye is single, your whole body shall be full of light. Now, I see that as this. If my eye, now, Look at it not as E-Y-E. -E. Look at it as just a single capital I. If my eye is single and I see that Christ, my true identity is I, I am. If I can see that my true identity is Christ and I see that as single or we're one and have always been one, then what does that do to us? Your body shall, and that word shall is exist, your body. You see that your body is full of light already, that every cell, every proton, neutron, and electron within your body is filled with light. Now, to experience that, yes, we do receive that. Now, I also taught last week how that the outer court is this outer circumference of the brain, which is called the dura mater. The holy place is the next level, which is called the PM mater, and then the most holy place we talked about, that's the pineal gland. Now, we also talked about the hippocampus, and remember what the hippocampus does. That's the part of your brain that recalls, that remembers, and has especially long-term memory. And I shared with you that another word for hippocampus is HEM, H-E-M. And so right away, I begin to wonder, the woman who had the issue of blood and went to all the physicians and only grew worse and spent all of her money, when she said within herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, she was saying, if I could but touch the hippocampus, if I could but touch that within myself by touching the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. Now, I don't think that she necessarily experienced the remembrance of her beginning necessarily at that time. I'm not saying that that's what happened. But what I am saying is that that wholeness that she began to experience points to a people that are now remembering their beginning. Born again, when Jesus came to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. In the Aramaic Bible, it says you must be born from your beginning. In other words, you must remember your beginning. Now, that's some long-term memory, right? And so it's the spirit utilizing the hippocampus of our brain. That's what's taking place there. And so, as I said, the Dura Mater is the outer, the outer court. The Pia Mater is the holy place. And then the most holy place would be the, uh, the pineal gland. And we know that Jacob came to a place after he saw, he saw God face to face. He called the place pineal or pineal. It's spelled a little different, but it's really the same thing. You can hook it up together. Now, notice what it says here in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 2. A wise man's heart is at his left hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. 
I read that again. A wise man's heart, his heart or his consciousness or his awareness, is in the right. It's on the right side, the left or the right hemisphere, excuse me. But a fool's heart is where? At his left, on the left side. That which represents carnality, that which represents judging by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear, whereas judging righteous judgment has to do with what the right hemisphere represents, and that is the mind of Christ. Now, I was sharing with someone today how that when we're thinking out of this left hemisphere, we're thinking, you know, in the realm of natural reasoning and natural logic and so forth, we can trick that side of our brain. How many want to know how to trick it? You can trick that side of your brain. How? Just through meditation. Maybe listening to some music. See? You can trick it. And it only takes a few seconds to do that, to trick the left hemisphere of the brain. They say that you can hold your breath for five seconds and all of your thoughts will leave. Yeah. Hold your breath for five seconds and what you were thinking about will be changed and leave and then you'll begin to be able to change. That's another way of tricking the brain. Most people don't know that. Now, Genesis chapter 25, let's get into this tonight. So red signifies what? Esau, it signifies the left hemisphere of the brain. It's the reasoning, it's the natural logic, and so forth. See, our reasoning must be spiritual. You know, Scripture says in Isaiah, come let us reason together. But that's a spiritual reasoning. That's not talking about a natural reasoning or depending on, you know, on logic. You know, I'm a part of the uh, Global Grace Seminary, and... Uh, we have a certain page that we can go to to answer questions that the students may have. And I had this one guy that kept asking the same question over and over and some other questions as well. And it came to me after he kept asking these questions and he could not seem to get any resolve over it. It came to me, I wonder if the guy's an engineer. And you know what? I found out later the guy was an engineer. He was thinking logically, as a lot of engineers do, unless they can make the switch and, and realize the spiritual truth. But he, he was an engineer, and he was trying to figure it out in his mind. Listen, folks, we can't figure everything out in our mind. I had a, a woman uh, just recently that had another question, and she seemed to be struggling. And I said, you know what? There are some things we just have to take by faith. I can't figure everything out about my father. We can't figure out everything about Jesus. And I mean, when you just think about the love of the father, and how Jesus went to the cross, listen, just to expose the lies of religion and just to reveal the truth to us? That makes no sense to me. I can't fathom that kind of love. And if I try to figure it out with my left hemisphere, my brain, in the logic, reasoning, and the natural reasoning, I'll never figure it out. So, you know, we have the faith of the Son of God, you see, that we need to exercise in some of these things. I don't think we'll ever have all of the answers. I don't think anyone has all of the answers. You see? And especially if you're going to try to figure things out, you know, in the left hemisphere of the brain that, you know, represents the logic and the reasoning and the carnal stuff. Now, Genesis chapter 25, verses 25 and 26. And here Rebecca is about to give birth to the twins. And notice what it says in verse 25. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And he called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Now, what is this? This is simply, we're not going to, we're going to move away from there being a literal Jacob and a literal Esau. 
We're going to move away from the historicity of that, not saying that they were not real people, but we're going to move away from that, and we're going to take that into ourselves, and we're going to see what does that represent within us. So those two verses there, Jacob and Esau, are a symbol, listen, especially in Esau, of that which is close to the earth being redeemed by that which is of the heavenly. That's what it's representing. That which is the closest to the earth, the left hemisphere, being redeemed by that which the right hemisphere represents, which is the mind of Christ. Now, it says there that Jacob grabbed hold of Esau's heel. And if you study feet or foot in the Bible, like, for example, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, and I know all of us have probably been involved in foot washings and where we had to, you know, wash people's stinky feet and all that sort of thing, and they incorporated that into their ritual, usually when they would serve communion and so forth. But the foot, including the heel, represents that which touches the earth. The heel or the foot represents that which touches the earth. So you see, anything that touches, listen, that touches the earth is that which touches the left hemisphere of the brain and what that represents, the carnal reasonings, the judging you know, by the appearance realm, by the seeing of the eye and the hearing of the ear. So Jesus' foot washings represent cleansing away that part which touches the lower earth realm of thinking. Now, what is Colossians chapter 3? Without turning there, Colossians 3 and verse 2 tells us to set our heart, our affection, or our heart awareness on things above. And then it goes on to say, not of the things of the earth. He uses the word earth there. Not of the things of the earth. Set our heart affection, set our heart awareness, set our heart consciousness on the things that are above spiritual things not on the things of the earth. And so that's what foot washing represents. And that's what we see here with this heel in verse 26 that Jacob grabbed hold of. That which was spirit grabbed hold of that which was associated with the natural appearance carnal realm. What for? To redeem it and to cleanse it. And so that's what we see in that particular scenario of Rebecca birthing the twins and Jacob spirit grabbing hold of Esau's heel that which touches the earth that needs to be redeemed and needs to be cleansed now yes Jesus paid the price for all of that but you know what unless we go in within ourselves and begin to associate with that what good would it be in our lives it would just be a nice tidy little wow. history story you see but there's way more to all of these characters, especially in the Old Testament, and all the way through the Bible, but especially in the Old Testament, there's way more than just the little history stories that we have been taught. You know, Samson and Delilah, that'll be a good one. David and Goliath, that'll be a real good one. I wrote a bunch of them down here that we're going to be looking. Think about Mary and Martha. Can you see it there? You can look at Mary and Martha and you can see that. Joseph and his brothers, the butler and the baker, Esther and Vashti, Ruth and Orpah, jo uh, 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 Joshua and the 12 spies. I'll get it out in a minute here. See, we can see the same pictures in all of those individuals. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And let's look at a verse here that applies to Jesus. Yes, his work when he went to the cross. 
But I want us to see how this takes place within you and I. Very familiar verse of scripture. Most of you probably could quote it. But I want to see how this really, let's take this into ourselves. And as we take it into ourselves, we'll get the picture of what he's talking about in Jacob and Esau. We'll see that Jacob, the spirit who grabbed hold of the heel, that which touches the earth, the carnal realm of Esau, he did that because it's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of redemption. See, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, you know, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was lost? Our awareness. We were alienated enemies in our mind. It was our awareness that was lost. And so, yes, he redeemed, but what did he redeem? What is redeem? The suffix of redeem is again. What did he do? He again showed us, because remember, we forgot when we came here. We came here upright. We came here complete. We came here perfect. We did not come, you know, with Adam's stain of, uh, of sin. We didn't come here with an Adamic identity. We did not come here with a sinful nature. We came here upright, Ecclesiastes 7.29 tells us in many other scriptures. And so Jesus goes to the cross to redeem, re-again show us, since we forgot we had that amnesia. He came to redeem, again show us that we were always deemed as one with him. He came to do that. And the cross, again, the blood, and we went through these teachings, uh, the blood represented all the, or, or exposed all of the lies of religion. But the resurrection revealed the truth that had always been the truth from before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy 1.9, you were saved, made holy, righteous, called, and chosen. Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, from before the foundation, from before time ever began. But the problem is when we came here, we came here complete, but then religion got a hold of us. Or we got a hold of religion, one. And we embraced it, and we got amnesia, and we forgot. And so we had to be reminded, and that's the hippocampus of the brain, bringing back the long-term, <laughs> that's long-term now, the long-term memory. And that's what's happening now. The truth is beginning to make us free and remind us of what has always been true about us. We've never been separate from the Father. We only thought we were. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Now, Genesis 3.15, look what it says. And I will put enmity between thee. Now, you remember how we used to teach this, and it was okay. It was okay, but let's see it within ourselves. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the first word, thee, here refers to the lower realm, and the woman here actually re uh, represents the spirit in our consciousness, in our feminine part, you see. So the spirit bruises the thoughts of the lower realm. The spirit in us bruises the thoughts of the lower realm. The spirit bruises the head of the carnal way of thinking. And then it says, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That which identifies with the earth. You see, now let me give you my paraphrase of this one because I wrote a paraphrase on it in Genesis 3, 15. The lower realm of thinking will be swallowed up by the spirit realm. The spirit realm will bruise the carnal way of thinking. That which brings you pain will be swallowed up and reconciled to spirit, you see, as you live out of the right side, as you utilize that mind of Christ. In other words, the things that we encounter in our life from the lower realm, from the carnal way of thinking, will always bring bruising, will always bring pain. Anytime you think out of the left hemisphere of the brain, you're going to have some pain, baby. You're going to have some bruising. Yep. You're going to have some hurting. So every time that we touch that carnal, represented by the left hemisphere of the brain, we come up with hurts, difficulty, 
pain and suffering, but in the end, the victory will be over what? Over, as it says, the head of that which is the serpent or the carnal way of thinking. See, I believe the serpent in the garden. I don't believe it was talking snake that reared its head up and began to talk to the woman, gave her an apple, and so she had to have three fig leaves and he had to have one. And I don't think any of that, I don't think any of that is the truth. That there was a talking serpent. I believe it is metaphoric, symbolic language. The serpent represents the fact that she began to, she saw the tree and it looked good to her yep. and so the certain so she thought out of that dimension of the left hemisphere of the brain rather than listening to what was true of her and so Adam and the woman thought they could do something they thought you see they thought left hemisphere that they could do something to become like God when they already were spirit Amen. and they already were exactly like God Amen. so what we see here is that any apparent battle is always in the mind. Revelation talks about the battle of Armageddon. That's not some literal war or Russia coming down to Israel. It's not that at all. It's symbolic of the fact that the battle of Armageddon, in fact, you can look it up in the Strong's Concordance in the Greek, and it uses the word mind. It's the battle between our ears that takes place. Now, Jesus totally crushed the carnal, and he was bruised as a result. But you see, that reality takes place within us as well. Now, go back to chapter 32 of Genesis. So Esau, Esau was a guy that touched the material. His name means flesh and it means red and red earth or, or the material realm. You know, at Halloween time, you can see little kids go Halloweening and they want to be the devil. Guess what color they dress up in? Red or the pitchfork and horns and all that sort of thing, you see. So Esau represents that material realm, the, the flesh realm, the left hemisphere of the brain, the thinking carnally, the, the logic, the, the reasoning out of the left side. And this represents Esau. And see, every one of us can relate to that. We've all had left hemisphere thinking. And you know what Esau did? He sacrificed his blessing. Now listen, this is exactly how we sacrifice our blessing who we are. We sell ourselves short. How? By thinking out of the left hemisphere of the brain. By thinking out of that earth realm, that lower realm, instead of setting our affection on things above the right hemisphere and what that represents, the mind of Christ, the spirit, we think below in the earth realm many times. And so therefore, at that moment, we're sacrificing who we have always been in him. So Jacob represents, yes, he struggled. Yes, we struggle, but that has nothing to do with who we are and who we've always been. We all struggle with the left side. You know, and I was sharing with Jenny earlier tonight how that, uh, and I don't mean this in any dog, uh, derogatory way, but they say uh, a number of weeks, I'm not sure how, how many weeks it is, but the male brain is bathed in a chemical that causes the male to not really be able to fluctuate between the left and the right hemisphere of the brain so easily. That's why many are not intuitive. Now, that's just a generalization. That's not true of all men. But you can develop that, see? But there's a, a, a chemical bath that took, takes place in the womb of a woman uh, in the male brain that causes, they kind of call it brain damage, but uh, it, it causes the male brain not to be able to, go back and forth so freely. Women go back and forth all the time. 
We do it all the time. We can access both the left and the right hemisphere of the brain very easily. So we can relate this, as I said, we sacrifice who we are, spirit, all the time when we think out of the left hemisphere of the brain and what that represents. So now what took place here was Jacob, as Jacob and Esau, as the twins were being born, Jacob representing that spiritual part, he grabs a hold of that which represents the lower part, saying, I will not let you go. I will make things right. And you know, all of that happens in us. I'm gonna make it right. Mm -hmm. We have a crisis in our life. I'm gonna figure this out. That's left brain. And that's what Jacob was doing. I will not let you go. I'm going to make this thing right. And all of that is happening within each and every one of us. Even though we came here complete, we came here in Christ, we came here one, we have a crisis or something in our life that goes wrong, uh, apparently goes wrong, I'm going to figure this out. I can do this. I can be independent, and I can work it, and I can figure it out. Rather than just relying on the mind of Christ on the spirit of Christ. And you see, the more we try to work it out, guess what? The yeah. more we mess it up many times, the worse it gets, you know? What did Jesus say in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, resist not evil. Well, bless God, I'm gonna get back at him. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm gonna figure this out and he's gonna get what he has coming to him. And even if we th just think that and don't go after someone maybe who's wronged us, guess what? We still sacrifice the blessing. We still sell out. For that moment, we sell out that experience of spirit. Now, Genesis chapter 32 and verse 9. Jacob, listen, just like the prodigal son, just like the prodigal son, Jacob had gone, he left his kindred and so forth, and he went out into a far country. The prodigal, it says, left his source. You know what the prodigal did? He began to think out of the left hemisphere of the brain. He no longer trusted his father, the source, and he left and it says he went out into a far country. And when he came back to his senses, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, when he came back to his right mind, and yeah. this is your right mind, right. you only have one mind. You don't have a carnal mind, but you can think carnally, Romans 8 says. So when he came back to his right mind, the prodigal, well, we know the story. The father was waiting. The father never saw himself and the son separate. Only the son did. And he came back, and we'll talk about that later. But look what it says here, Genesis 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saith unto me, Return, listen, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. If you'll return back to your country, if you'll return home, and you know we have a whole church world today that home is off yonder, 50 million light years away after yeah. I die, the pie in the sky when I go to heaven, or after the so-called rapture of the church. Yes. Home is this. Right. Home is here. When your eye is single, your whole body is full yeah. of light. That's home, folks. Right. See? But religion has taken us on a journey into a far country. Now, did you notice when I shared with you last week on the tabernacle you had on the north, the tribe of Dan? You know, when the tribes were positioned around the tabernacle, north, you had Dan. And there was a time when Dan judged by the singing down, the hearing of the ear. On the south, you had Reuben representing a son, the emotional part. 
On the west, you had Ephraim, the intellectual, just being intellectual about things. But on the right side was Judah. And it represents and speaks of the, the, the east, the dawning of the new day. See? And remember, they'd always, when they were in a scrimmage or battle, they'd always send Judah first. That's why this has to be first. This has to be first. Anytime we find ourselves in a struggle or some suggestion is made to us in the realm of appearance, we've got to put this first. Not trying to figure it out on our own. Put this first. Seek the mind of Christ, which you are, have and are. Seek that first before you go off trying to figure things out. So Judah was on the east or on the right side, and Judah was always sent first. Judah represents the presence of the Lord. In other words, what he's saying here to Jacob is, you must come out of the far country of the left side and come back to your country on the right side because that's where home is. That's where home is. Home is in us. People want to go home all the time and it's flying and dying. Home is in us. We're at home. And we need to stay in our home. I think one place in Isaiah, I taught this years ago, where you know God is looking for a fat woman. Remember that message that we talked about? What is that? A fat woman is one that stays at home. A fat woman is an awareness that is full, that is set its affection on things above rather than the earth. That's the fat woman. And the woman's to stay at home. So now when we see this picture of the prodigal, he left home and it says, if you read it, I'm not going to take the time, but if you read it there, it says he went out into a far country, the far country of the left side. He left the source of the right side and he traveled and journeyed into a far country, which is the left hemisphere of the brain. Now, here's an interesting thing that I want us to see. The prodigal arose, came to his right mind, but you know what? I think it was pretty easy for him to come to his right mind. He had nothing. He had lost it all. But you know what? Jacob had it all. I remember sharing with you some time ago that, you know, in the home when I grew up, my adoptive parents uh, treated me wonderfully, loved my parents. But, you know, I was always the good kid. I was the proper, prim kid of the house. My brother, on the other hand, always did stuff that got him in trouble. So I spent 28 years in prison. He's out now, thank God. We have a great relationship. But I was always the good kid, and it was kind of like, why do I need Christ? Yeah. I'm already living a good life. I'm already the good kid. What I didn't understand was it was just the good of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I was still abiding in death. And you know, I found something, something out this week. I, I purchased me an Aramaic Bible. And I'm not putting all my stock in that, but there are some things in there that uh, I love. But I found out this week that you know the scripture that says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, the father, you know, no. et cetera. The word evil there is not evil as we would think of adultery, fornication, or killing, or murdering, or whatever. The word evil in the Aramaic is just a lesser good. <laughs> and I remember teaching this years ago, and it's in my Builders of the Tabernacle uh, book back there. Builders of the Tabernacle. I mentioned that that the evil is just the evil is just the lesser good and the lesser good. And the Jewish people, listen, when they see a fruit tree and they hear the word evil, it's the piece of fruit on the tree that's not ripe yet. That's all it is. Well then. But all we have are a list of evil. 
you know? And so that's why good and evil are on the opposite ends of the same stick. So what he was saying there, if you being evil, if you being immature and now fully grown, know how to give good gifts, how much more are your father give good gifts unto those that ask of him? You see? So, you know, we've had such screwy ideas about things, but thank God we're beginning to come back home and we're beginning to realize some things. Now, in verse 10 of Genesis 32, it says, this is now when Jacob is coming back. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Now, we can read nearly the same thing about the prodigal in Luke chapter 15, verse 18. The prodigal said, I'll rise and go to my father. In other words, I'm going to rise and come to the right side, my Christ's mind. But then in verse 19, the prodigal said of Luke 15, he said, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Just make me like one of the hired servants. <coughs> in other words, my point is this. It's a lot easier to come back when you're, and know that you're empty and have nothing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But Jacob had everything. Jacob had everything, and he still came back home. And that's the problem with the religion today. You yeah. know, as it says in Revelation chapter 3, yeah. you know, we're increased with goods and, you know, we have this and we have that. What do we need the Spirit for? Yeah. And, and what did he say? You're lukewarm. Yeah. You're lukewarm and you're like, you know, like puke. <laughs> that's really what he's saying there, you see. So what we need to do is we need to, as I said, trick this other side. When this left hemisphere is working and you're struggling and judging things by appearances, trick it. And you can trick it by just meditating, just, just getting still. We can see this many places in the scripture. Just be still and know that I'm God. Just meditate. Just, just get still, and it won't be long. And see, it's not a matter of trying to put this down. It's not a matter of struggling to put this down. But it's a matter of bringing this up, the mind of Christ up, that will effortlessly then swallow all of the carnal thinking. He'll do it effortlessly, folks. If we'll just come back home, that's grace, that's grace. Effortless. Yeah. Not fighting, not striving. I mean, the more you fight, as I said earlier, that's why Jesus said resist not evil. The more you fight, the bigger it can get. So the answer is putting on this mind of Christ that we have and that we are. And it's not a work, you know, that, that's, that's who we are already. So let's look at this, the fact that Jacob comes back to his country of stuff. And what we're going to find out is that Jacob, or Esau, excuse me, or Jacob, I'm sorry, was trying to figure things out where Esau was concerned, and it only got worse. It got worse and worse and worse because he was trying to figure things out and manipulate things. Look what it says here. Genesis 32, verses 11 through 19. And here, what's happening is Jacob is, he's thinking out of the left hemisphere, trying to reason and logically figure things out on his own where Esau is concerned. So look what it says in verse 11. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother. This is Jacob. From the hand of Esau. For I fear him. He was apprehensive. He was fearful of his brother Esau. I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea. Remember, God said to him, 
If you'll go back to your country, I'll do well by you. Right? We just read that. So verse 12 again. And thou saidest, God said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand, listen, a present. He's trying to bribe Esau. He takes him a present. Okay? And he lodged there that same night, and he took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. Verse 14, 200 shegos. Look at all the stuff that he took to his brother Esau to try to appease him. What is he doing? He's thinking out of the far country. He's thinking out of the logical mind. He's trying to figure this thing out because he's fearful and apprehensive of his brother Esau. So verse 14, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats and 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 milch camels with their colts and 40 kine and 10 bulls and 20 she-asses and 10 fowls. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me, and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee, then thou shalt say, They be thy present, or they be thy servant, Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. Verse 19. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. So Jacob's knee-jerk reaction, because he's afraid of his brother Esau, is to what? Is to try to fix the situation, to try to manipulate, to try to control things, and that strictly comes out of the far country, it comes out of the left hemisphere of the brain, trying to figure things out and reason things out, out of a carnal way of thinking. Now, am I the only one that does this? <laughs> do we all do this? Do we try to work things out? That's what Jacob was doing. He was trying to do something to appease his brother. He was trying to buy him off through the logic of the far country and the reasoning, the natural reasoning of the left hemisphere of the brain. He was trying to simply dig himself out of the situation that he had with his brother Esau. In other words, Jacob's spirit, who had grabbed the heel of his brother representing the earthly way of thinking, what was he doing? He was simply trying in his own effort to redeem something by carnal efforts and it did not work and it will never work folks it will never work now let's see what happens look at verse 22 this is the dramatic part now you gotta have a little drama in this right verse 22 and he rose up that night listen to this and took his two wives and his two woman servants and his eleven sons and he passed over the ford Jabok and he took them, listen to this, and he sent them over the brook and sent over, and I'm going to add a word, all that he had. So during Jacob's deepest depression here, where his brother was concerned, Jacob's place of the dark night of the soul, as some call it, you know what he does? 
He takes everything and he sends it away. He gives it all up. His wives, his woman servants, his camels, his elephants, his colts, his sheep, his goats, his everything. The people that he was in relationship with. And he sends them away until he is standing there all alone by himself. See, and I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, don't try to control things by using the left hemisphere of the brain and trying to, out of natural logic and natural reasoning, figure things out and make a way for yourself. Trust, come home to your own country, and the Father, the Spirit in you will do you well. Don't sell your soul. Don't sell your blessing by thinking out of the left hemisphere of the brain. So Jacob finds himself completely and totally alone. The exact thing that you and I have got to do. Yes. George has to be alone. Yeah. Sheila has to be alone. Candy has to be alone. Tracy has to be alone. Yeah. Lakin has to be alone. Right. Melissa has to be alone. We all have to walk this path alone. Now we're not alone in the sense that you know we're not one with right. spirit. Of course, yeah. we're not saying that whatsoever. But we have to. You can't take any one of your family with you. You go to the place where you experience and you make that switch. That's right. You alone have to walk that path. That's right. Religion doesn't want to do that. No, they don't. Religion wants to take everyone in with them. Well, we're going to walk this alone. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are they who are poor in spirit. In other words, don't try to control things. Don't try to manipulate things. And that's what Jacob for time was trying to do. Now, can you see how, even though he had those struggles, and even though he was thinking out of what the left hemisphere of the brain represents to us, the carnal, he still was spirit. He still was spirit. His name was always Israel. I want to submit that to you. He was only named Jacob, which means doing things by underhanded means, trying to manipulate, trying to control. He always was Jacob, but his parents named him that. Or he always, always was Israel, excuse me. His parents named him Jacob, but he always was Israel. And he's going to find that out. Now jump on down to verse 24. Jump on down to verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, it says. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, listen, this is true of each and every one of us. In order for us to experience that most holy place realm where we come home to the Father's house <clears throat> and we live from the inside out, we must realize, listen, that we can only come to the experience of this within ourselves right. alone. You cannot take anyone, as I said, with you. Nope. Now, you can be that light to people and people can see that. The whole creation is on tiptoe looking for that light, manifestation of the sons of God that we are, not going to become, but that we are, that Israel that we are. And yes, they will come in and they'll experience this. But we have to make this journey all by our wee little self. But no one. Now, it says here as we read on that the hollow of Jake's, Jacob's thigh was touched and it was put out of joint. Do you know that the thigh is the strongest muscle in your body? And listen, we're going to end up 
sending away the strongest muscle of our body. The strongest theology? Oh my God. The strongest thing that we have been taught? The strongest things that we think right now? All of our independence has got to be sent away. And as it's all sent away, then we're going to begin to experience coming back home. And our Father doing well by us. Actually, yeah. He's already done well yeah. by us. He couldn't give us any more. Right. But us experiencing that as we seek first the kingdom of God, turn within, and His righteousness and all of these things will be unfolded Lord. from us. So that strongest muscle that represents all of our theology, all that we've been taught, all that we think, that has been a process that the Spirit of the Lord within me has been taking me, as you well know, in the last several years is to take all of the theology and that which I thought was the final truth and put it on the shelf, put it on the shelf and allow the spirit to reteach those areas that I had all figured out. And boy, did I have it figured out. I had a lot of things figured out, Melissa. A whole lot of things. Over 40 years of ministry, Kay Fairchild had it figured out. But you know what? I didn't know a stinking thing. I mean, yes, some of those revelations were true at that time, but compared to the ultimate of what he's saying and doing through us today and what we're experiencing today, nada, nilch, nothing, zero. Thank God for the revelation. We're coming to the place where we're like Jacob, no longer seeing through a glass darkly, but face to face, and it's associated with the most holy place in the pioneer land. We're going to see that that will literally take place Within, I mean, it already is, not going to. It already is. And we'll connect all of this as we go through this. Now, look at verse 24 again. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, the man, oh, we've had our ideas about what the man was. I used to teach it was the message. Now, it is that to some degree, but the man was himself. Yeah. <laughs> you and I wrestle with ourselves. You know, some people say you, you can be your own worst enemy. Well, not you per se, but that left hemisphere of the brain is your own worst enemy you see and we struggle with these things so there was a man it says there there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day he was wrestling with himself there so when you're in a crisis as I said the first thing that comes to mind needs to be spirit the mind of Christ rather than how can I fix this See, you know, Jesus in his temptation in Luke, what is it, chapter 4, where it says there that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, listen, of the devil, but devil there is a reflexive pronoun. His temptation came from within him. I mean, think about it. He fasted for 40 days. When you be hungry after 40 days of fasting and your hunger is now returning, and if you don't eat, it can turn into starvation. It wasn't a devil out here. It's a reflexive pronoun. He was tempted from within. He was tempted to think, of course he didn't, he didn't yield to the temptation. He was tempted to think out of the left hemisphere of the brain, out of the carnal. That's what it's talking about. And you and I are tempted and suggestions are made to us probably every day to try to fix this. What can I do to be more holy? What can I do to be more righteous? Exactly what Adam did. Thought he could do something to be more holy and to be more righteous. So our first 
response, most of the time when we have a apparent situation in the appearance room, our first reaction is, I'll fix it. But our first response needs to be spirit. Mind of Christ. Not left hemisphere of the brain. Not judging it by the way it looks or the way it feels or what the doctor said or what the bank says. You see. Now look at verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, notice, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Now, that wasn't some guy out here external to him touching the hollow of his eye, uh, of his thigh that he was wrestling with. That's not that at all. All of these things are happening within us. And as I said, the thigh represents the strongest muscle of the body, and what it represents here is simply desire. Your own desire. Now, the scripture says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Yes. He does give us the, he's already given us the desires of our heart. But when you're trying to get desires out of the left hemisphere, out of you trying to finagle it and work it out, then you may get the blessing, you may experience it, but you know what? You may experience a temporary relief, but it won't be long-lasting. It won't be fruit that remains. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. See? So his desire, he was wrestling within himself against what? Against this, his own desire, where his brother Esau was concerned. Now, we do that all the time. Now, let me give you a scripture. You don't have to turn there. You can write this down if you want to check it out. It's Genesis 24, 2 and 3. Because whenever they used to uh, do oaths and when they would swear, they would put their hand under the thigh. And they would swear. You'd swear too if someone put their hand under your thigh, right? But now listen, listen. It, it was, if I can say this, and I, and I say this very discreetly, it was really the, the part of the male that was circumcised that they touched. It was the testing. Testicle. And it's where we get the word testify. It's where we get the word witness. And it's where we get the word testimony. Yeah. So you see, the thigh is the area of desire, not just sexual desire, but the thigh is the area of any desire that you conjure up on your own. Rather than trusting that he's already given you the desire of your heart. You see. And living out of that spiritual dimension and that spiritual realm. So this in Jacob, this thigh, this desire, this is what he was wrestling with. He was wrestling with trying to see how he could get his own desire to come to pass. Rather than coming back to the thy country, as we read, and receiving the fact that the father has already called him Israel. It was only his parents that named him Jacob, the deceiver and the conniver. So what was he doing? He was wrestling with desire to work out of his own carnal thinking, his own logic, you see. So that is what the wrestle was, and that was strong in Jacob at that time. See, and just the very fact that we go through these struggles as well proves to us and shows us that Jacob, even though his name, that his parents named him was, you know, a conniver, a man that does things by underhanded means, it goes to prove to us and show us when his name was changed to Israel or he woke up to the fact that he always had been Israel, 
It goes to show us that this is something that is happening within us. And even though he struggled, like we all struggle, it didn't mean that he was an evil guy or anything. He just had some of the same struggles. He was struggling with something in the appearance room that he wanted to work out of the desire of his own heart on a natural level. Now, Isaiah chapter 30, I'm just going to quote this to you. I'm going to quote a few. Stay there where you're at. Isaiah 37 said, For the Egyptians shall help in vain, and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Their strength is to sit still. So when you're tempted to live out of this, put the shut to the up and sit still and trick the left hemisphere and just begin to meditate on the truth that you have always been. Now, jump on down to verse 21 there in Genesis, verse 21. And thine ear shall hear a word behind thee. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Isaiah 30, 21. I meant to read that too. Isaiah 30, 21. Listen, after it says, thy strength is to sit still, for the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Then verse 21 says, and thine ear shall hear a word behind thee, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the left hand and to the right. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. In other words, when you fluctuate, what this is saying is, when you fluctuate between the left and the right, sit still. Just sit still. Put the shot to the up and be silent and be quiet. And just trust in that which is already true of you. Here's another one, Psalm 4, 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Pause and think about it. In Exodus chapter 14, Moses is confronted here. The people were frightened because armies were coming against them and they were outnumbered. And he says in verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Now, it's not so much that we're holding our peace knowing the Lord is going to fight for us. It's realizing he already did. And he's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And he's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we all have been named Israel. And Jacob came to that realization when he wrestled with the man that his name was always Israel. Now, back to Genesis 32. Look at verse 27. When the man Jacob had crippled his own desires. Did you hear that? We only cripple our own desires. Oh God, please, you know, make me a living sacrifice and, you know, kill this in me and kill that in me and renew my mind. He won't ever do that. He won't ever renew your mind. He says, you put on the mind of Christ. You put on the renewing mind and you'll experience a transformation. So when this man, Jacob himself, had crippled his own desires, listen, he then asked for a blessing. Now listen, that is real blessing when you have by the Spirit crippled the side of the left hemisphere and what that represents. That is the real blessing. And listen, it is fruit that remains. It's not a blessing that's here today and gone tomorrow. That's when you tap into that blessing that has overtaken you and you walk in it on a consistent basis. That's when you're no longer trying to get the blessing. When you're no longer trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to reason, trying to use your natural logic, but you just rely 
on that which the right hemisphere of the brain represents. Now look at verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? This is all going on in Jacob now. What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. I'm a conniver. I'm used to figuring things out. I'm used to using carnal reasoning. I'm very logical here. I'm very practical. My name is Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now, if you take that word Israel, and some of you may already have seen the post I put on this morning about doing the live stream, and you break this word down, I-S, I-S-R-A-E-L, I-S is spirit, R-A is the mind that has come into communion with the spirit and produces the experience of E-L, which is God, the Father, or Christ. See, and that, that's, that's what he's getting, the revelation that he's always been Israel, but he acted like the fool, as we read back in Ecclesiastes. He acted like the fool by drawing, a, a dry, drawing if I can talk, out of the left hemisphere of the reasoning of the natural mind. Instead of, I mean, he was, he was <coughs> so fearful and apprehensive of his brother Esau. And how many people today are apprehensive of this left hemisphere of the brain? They're fearful. If I don't figure this out, nothing's going to happen in my life if I don't reason all this stuff out. And they fall flat on their face. Eventually. Maybe not at first. It might seem like they've come along pretty well. Now jump on down to verse 29 in closing. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And guess what? He's not telling them because it's Jacob. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed them there. In other words, it's not important. What is important is that you realize that you're a prince. You're one with me. You came here complete. You came here saved. You came here holy. You just need to recognize it. See, it's not important that my name was Kay or that your name is Sheila, that your parents, when they birthed you, named you. Your name is Son. Your name is Christ. Your name is really Christ, and you are a son of God. Christ is both head and body. And it says that there are a people that are growing up into the head. We'll deal with that a little bit later. So he's saying, well, it's not important that you know that you, you know, had the name as Jacob, as a deceiver, and one who does things in an underhanded manner. It's not important that you know that. See, and this is the same with Paul. Paul the apostle killed Christians, held the coat of Stephen while they stoned him, had death warrants to kill anyone that called himself a Christian, and yet he had the audacity to stand up and say, I have wronged no man. My name was never Saul. My name has always been Paul. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Verse 30. Here's a good part. Yeah. Verse 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Spelled a little different than Pineal, but it's the same thing. Peniel. For I have seen. Wow. The light has entered my eyes. Wow. I have seen something. And I'm no longer seeing him through a glass darkly as for 
1 Corinthians 13 records, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So the most holy place there, being the place of the pineal gland, and as I said, as we go to sleep at night, as we go to sleep at night, we take the darkness into our eyes, it opens the pineal gland, and light flows into the physical body that kills cancer cells and it lightens the skin and it reverses the aging process and does a host of other things that we don't even know about. And your body's filled with light. Verse 31, and he passed over Peniel, Peniel, however you pronounce it, as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him. He was enlightened. Listen, and he halted upon his thigh. He could see. And because he could see, he no longer walked out of the left hemisphere of the brain. His eye was single. He realized that he was one. His eye, letter I, not E-Y-E, I was single. And as a result of him seeing that the kingdom of God is within, typically, as a result of him seeing that the kingdom doesn't come with observation, it's not out here, it's within me, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. As he began to realize that he is the body of Christ, he is Israel, he saw him face to face. And it says there in verse 31, the sun rose upon him, he was enlightened. And from that point on, he halted, it says, upon that strongest part that was within Mr. Jacob. And he no longer tried to figure things out with natural logic. He no longer tried to protect himself. He no longer tried to get his own blessing by himself. He no longer did that. He halted upon that desire to work it out himself. He halted upon his thigh. Now look at chapter 33 in closing. I have to have a couple closings here. Genesis 33 and verse 1. Because there's something else here that we can look at in closing. And we can see about Jacob. And again, all of these characters are experiences that are happening on the inside of us. Have happened, are still happening to a degree, and shall continue to happen within our lives. Chapter 33, verse 1, And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and behold, and looked, and behold, Esau came. Listen to this. Esau came, and with him 400 men. Verse 3, And Jacob passed over them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. Verse 4, And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like the prodigal and the father in Luke chapter 15 in verse 20? It says, he arose and he came to the father. And it says, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, why the neck? What is the neck symbolic of? The neck is symbolic, listen, of that which bridges together heaven and earth. Yep. Yep. When you are no longer thinking out of the earth realm, see, my neck bridges what? The heavenly realm with the earth realm, my body, heaven and earth. 
And Jesus in Matthew talked about, you know, the prayer there. He talked about, you know, as in heaven, so in earth. One translation says, so in heaven, so it is in earth. Already it is. But for us to experience that, the net bridges the gap between the two. And once we just simply start putting on, when we have a crisis, instead of trying to figure it out, just simply stop, silence ourselves, trick the left hemisphere through meditation and the putting on of the mind of Christ, which we are, then you know what? We will experientially experience heaven as earth. They're already one, but they become one experientially within our experience. So there you have the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob being the spirit, even though he struggled. We all struggle, and yet we're spirit. Esau being that left hemisphere of the brain, thinking out of the carnal way of thinking. But since there's only one mind, and it's the mind of Christ that we have, can you see? It should be very easy for us to redeem the left side. And that's what the story's about. It's about Jacob redeeming the left side that wanted to try to figure it out, work it out, bring the blessing, make the blessing, become one with the Father, like Adam, thinking we have to do something to become more complete and more holy and more this and more that. So Jacob and Esau is happening within you has happened, is happening, and shall yet happen within each and every one of us. Father, we thank you for your presence, for your love. Thank you, Father, for your word and the Holy Spirit, the true teacher that is making these realities alive within each and every one of us. We bless you. We honor you.